You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou Is that louder? Is that better? All right, good. Okay. Well... As we come to the scriptures today, I always emphasize to my Tuesday Bible study that context is so important to gain a right understanding of the scriptures. As my kids would call it, a story arc in their various animated series they follow. You have to be know where you are in the story arc to make sense of what's being said in scripture. And our passage from 1 Corinthians today is no different. Now fortunately, we've been tracking through the book of 1 Corinthians week after week, one verse after another, so we know exactly where we are in the story. St. Paul has spent three chapters now focusing on spiritual gifts, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And he was speaking to the church at Corinth, which was a church that was very self-centered, very focused on themselves, very um, concerned with how good they were doing in life. And so he, in talking about spiritual gifts, tries to turn them and help them understand that those gifts are given to them so they can serve others. But, but he is speaking about something of which they have direct experience. Their gifts. They've either experienced them themselves or they've seen them evidenced in the community of faith. But now he changes tack. Now he needs them to focus on something of which they've had no direct experience. Instead, to have them focus on this thing that comes to them as news from someplace else. Good news, to be certain. Gospel news. So I encourage you to look at the passage with me. Verse 3. St. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what you also received. First importance. Far more important than the spiritual gifts he spent three chapters talking about. What's most important here is this thing he goes on to talk about. Now, the word delivered sounds like a delivery vehicle. To me, it sounds like the FedEx guy comes to the door with something from Amazon. But the word is actually in Greek, parodidomai. And it's the Greek word for tradition. It's in its verb form. So he's saying, I'm traditioning on to you what was first traditioned on to me. And if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, anyone like Fiddler on the Roof? You know how important tradition is to a good Jew like St. Paul, okay? He's giving them what is of first importance, and here's what he goes on to say. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Does that sound like the creed we say every Sunday? St. Paul is saying to them that the centerpiece of their faith, the reason their faith is anchored in a firm spot, is not their experience religiously, no matter how powerful that experience has been. But instead, instead it is 
this good news of what has happened to this Jewish carpenter on a hill in Jerusalem, in a tomb in Jerusalem, just a few, well, in this case, probably a few years ago when he's writing to the Corinthian church. Now, why is our experience not so important? Well, our experience, unless you're a very unusual human being, your experience of God will be not uniform. There will be times that you feel incredibly close to God. Like you could reach out and touch Him. And then there will be times when it feels like God is a million miles away. There will be times when you feel like you can trust God with everything in your life. And there will be times when your trust will be shaken. There will be times when you feel like the joy of the Spirit is on you and the Lord is touching you directly in your life and breathing His life into yours. And there will be times in your life when you'll wonder if you weren't crazy when you were thinking those thoughts. There are highs and there are lows to our spiritual life as we go through the ups and downs of our life. And so the centerpiece of our faith is not our experience, no matter how powerful our experience is. The centerpiece of our faith is this news that has come to us from outside of us of what God has done in this person named Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you've been following the news, you've probably seen that our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church have been going through it. A cardinal was defrocked this week uh, through, uh, over a sex abuse scandal. It's touched a parish just down the road from us. The Pope, two weeks ago, confessed to what was going on internationally in their church and that they were working hard to try and fix it, but that there were difficulties. Now, I'm not here to crow over them. I'm here instead to say, you come to church to confess, it's time for Protestants to confess too. St. Paul is telling us our experience doesn't matter as much as this good news of what happened through Jesus, this subjective news. And yet, Protestants have been since the 19th century, the 1800s, have been trying to craft experiences that move people emotionally instead of focusing on this good news that's the centerpiece of our faith. There was a guy named Charles Finney. Long before P.T. Barnum would come along and be the greatest showman on earth, Charles Finney was trying to put on a bigger and better show every week to bring out a bigger and better crowd. And he instructed all of his ministry team to do, it was always, we have to be better, we've got to be good, we've got to get out there and make the spectacle bigger. And nothing has changed. We want the light show to be good, we want the music to be good. We want to have an experience that makes us feel something. My church in Michigan, they put together our, the, um, the spiritual growth committee, or the equivalent of that at that church, put together a questionnaire. And the, the top question on the questionnaire was, do you feel good when you leave worship? And I, thought, I looked at that and I thought, well, some Sundays, yes, but in some Sundays, Jesus has kind of laid it on me. <laughs> We're not here to have our feelings moved a certain way. We've also focused our sermons in places besides what St. Paul says is of first importance. You can Google your way right now to, I guarantee you, two dozen series of sermons on the life of David and lessons you can learn from it and apply to your own. 
You can find sermons on how to keep your kids in line. Lots of those. (laughs) College students, you can find sermons on how to get your parents off your back. (laughs) We have sermons on everything we have that's focused on this life, but St. Paul tells us today that if we are only focused on Christ for this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, first of all, I'm not making fun of or raking over the coals any style of worship. Because I have served in churches where classical music is the thing, and it's just as big a show as any church with a lights display and sound reinforcement equipment. The music is meant to be our response to what we're hearing in the gospel, not the thing that moves us toward the gospel itself. And the sermons are meant to teach us about Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and our need for Him. There's a church. There are churches that, well, first of all, church, there are lots of churches that have taken sin out of the vocabulary because they're afraid it'll offend people. Kind of like Whoopi Goldberg in the, in the Sister Act movies, they just want to pack the house. So sin can drive people, get people feeling uncomfortable so we don't talk about sin anymore. But how, if you don't know about sin, what do you know about a Savior? It doesn't make any sense. There's a church this morning that is going to have tens of thousands of people in worship. Their broadcast ministries are going to reach hundreds of thousands of people in worship. And they are forbidden to use the word blood. How do you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ without talking about blood? How do you talk about our sins being washed away without the blood of Christ? We are to focus on what is of first importance. And that is Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection. It's great to get good advice, and there's a place for that in the worship of the church. It's great to get good stories and, and sermons to teach us how to live. But the focus of the ministry of the church, the only thing we do that the world doesn't do better, is preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and call people to trust and faith in Him. Now you guys got a little preview of this when I was talking with the kids in the children's sermon. But I love how this passage goes on. I delivered to you what is of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. It means they've died. That means if you were in this church, St. Paul's basically saying, if you doubt my story, just go down to Jerusalem. There's 500-odd people who can confirm it. Now, we don't have that privilege as 21st century Christians, but we don't need to doubt those who had that privilege in the 1st century. They recorded this good news for us so that we could learn the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I owe my next insight to Pastor Timothy Keller, who has spent a life, lifetime of ministry interacting wonderfully with people who are skeptical. What does that life, death, and, Je- uh, and resurrection of Jesus tell us? This moment in history that is certifiable historically... 
Because we are going to look at that after Easter. We're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at the proofs of the resurrection together as a community of faith. So you can understand on what solid basis your faith rests. But what does this life, death, and resurrection of this God-become-man tell us? It tells us this, that when tragedy strikes, and tragedy does strike all of us at some time, and it's usually when tragedy strikes that we have the most doubts about, if not God's existence, at least God's goodness or His care for an individual human soul in the midst of seven billion people and a massive universe made of billions of universes, or billions of, what would that be? Galaxies, sorry. In the midst of all that, we, we can doubt God's goodness or His care for us. But the life of Jesus, who endured every human indignity that you endure. The death of Jesus, where he was not just died for our sins, but was tortured to death for our sins. And his resurrection to give us the hope of eternal life, no matter how dark the moment seems to us, what that tells us is this. We may not know the reason for the tragedies that happen in this life and why God permits them, but we do know this. It's not because he doesn't care. God cares for us so much that when we were drowning in our sins, he dove into the water to rescue us even at the cost of his own life. That is what we know. And that is what we cling to. Because whether the tragedy is four and a half million dead in the concentration camps of the Third Reich, 10 million dead in the gulags of the Soviet Union, or one dead whom we dearly loved. God's love for us is made sure by this historical occurrence of Christ on a cross. Martin Luther learned this. This man who had given his all for God who would live most of his life under the threat of death because he had stepped out in faith and said, yes, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is true. We do live by grace through faith that none can boast. His daughter of 13, after a long wasting illness where he and his wife Katerina prayed so earnestly for her healing, died in his arms. And this is what he wrote to his friend Eustace. He said, I believe the report has reached you that my dearest daughter Magdalena has been reborn into Christ's eternal kingdom. I and my wife should joyfully give thanks for such a felicitous departure and blessed end by which Magdalena escaped the power of the flesh, the world, the Turk, and the devil. Yet, the force of our natural love is so great that we are unable to do this without crying and grieving in our hearts or even without experiencing death ourselves. The features, the words, and the movements of the living and dying daughter remain deeply engraved in our hearts. Even the death of Christ is unable to take this all away as it should. You, therefore, give thanks to God in our stead For indeed, God did a great work of grace when he glorified our flesh in this way, that is, by taking it on and taking it to the cross. 
Magdalena had, as you know, a mild and lovely disposition and was loved by all. God grant me and all my loved ones and all my friends such a death, or rather, such a life. Luther would later bid his parishioners when tragedy struck and they doubted God's love to look not to their situation but to look to the cross whose shadow stretches across all of eternity and affirms for us the love of God so that when Jesus says crazy things or things that should seem crazy to us based on what we know about the world, like blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. (coughs) Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. We know the truth of those words, not with the foresight of faith, but with the hindsight of history, because we know that the resurrection always follows the crucifixion. And our Lord Jesus rose from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life for all we love and for ourselves. That is what of first importance In fact, Christ was raised from the dead. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, in our weakness, in our love for each other, in our love of the flesh, as Luther called it, in our purely human love, it's so hard for us to understand why bad things have to happen when you have the power to stop them. Yet you didn't stand at a distance from those tragedies. You instead endured them with us and even for us that we might have eternal life, that you might go ahead of us and forge a way home, and that by your resurrection you showed us the truth of that way. Strengthen us, O Lord. Bless us in the midst of all the practical needs of this life, to know that you have done the one thing needful, have secured our salvation, and have, are drawing us through it by reforming our character to become more and more like your own self-giving one. Strengthen us and bless us to believe this, Lord, for we lack the strength on our own. These things we pray... In the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, that. Since my light